0: To the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the Book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your App Store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on Couragematters.com.
1: Who has a Bible? Did you bring a Bible with you? You need a Bible. If you don't have one, we'll be glad to put it up on the screen here. But turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 23 as we continue in God's Word. And before we go any further, I want to ask this question. Have you forgotten God's calling on your life? Have you forgotten God's calling on your life? Secondly, have you forgotten how God's calling on your life is fulfilled? It's important to understand not only that God has a calling on your life, but also to understand how that calling in your life is to be fulfilled. And third, do you understand, do you appreciate that the world is trying to get you to sit down and shut up, to back off of that calling, to ease up on your devotion and your commitment and your surrender to Jesus Christ. How have you been doing in regard to standing up and speaking out in this sit-down, shut-up world? Well, today, great news for you. We're going to look at the Word of God where we get yet another instance, another example of how a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, God-empowered follower of Jesus Christ overcomes all of the obstacles that might be in his or her path to, at the end of it all, come out a winner for Jesus Christ, to succeed in the glory and the honor of Jesus. Look with me at the book of Acts chapter 21, verse 23. We left off last time where Paul was in Jerusalem. And there was gossip and slander that had taken place about his reputation. And so the leaders of the church in Jerusalem come to him and they tell him this, "Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but you yourself also live in observance of the law." The rumors, the slander, the gossip, the falsehoods, the lies that were circulating about Paul is that he was telling people that if you were a Jew, you could disavow Judaism. You could turn your back on being a Jew in terms of the customs and the law and the practices of the law. And so the Jewish leaders of the church in Jerusalem who are concerned about the Jewish believers in Jesus being alienated now that Gentiles have come to know Jesus, they're telling Paul, listen, show everybody that these rumors are false. Verse 25, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day, he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, pause. If you go to Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you'll understand the major offerings, the major sacrifices that a Jew participated in, all right? And you'll also understand if you were to go to the book of Numbers chapter 6, Numbers chapter 6, you can research for yourself some of what is probably taking place here the Nazarite vow and what was involved in the Nazarite vow. And that for a period of certain days, they were to set themselves apart. And then at the end of that time, they were to offer a sacrifice. And that's what's being referenced here. And this is what Paul is participating in as a former Pharisee, now an apostle, as a devout Jew. And what he's doing is he's being sensitive to Judaism. He's being sensitive to the Jews. And the church in Jerusalem is being sensitive as well because there's now this one body made up of Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles not being totally familiar with the law, some of them being totally ignorant of the law, some of them having some understanding because they would go into the synagogues in their areas. Many Gentiles would go and worship in the synagogues. And you remember from the book of Acts already what we've seen is Paul's practice is always wherever he was in the Greek-speaking world, he would make his way over to the synagogue and preach and teach. And lo and behold, not only Jews would believe, but also Gentiles who were extending a listening ear to God. They had a spiritual hunger for God and that's why they were in the synagogue in the first place. And so the issue had arisen. How do we get Jews who practice and observe the Old Testament, and Gentiles who are any place on the spectrum of not understanding about the Old Testament and the ways of God, how do we get them together, practically speaking, how do we get them to worship and serve and honor and surrender to the same Savior, Jesus? And so what they're doing is they're trying to help Paul and the other Jews understand that The extension of the gospel to the Gentiles by no means is a rejection of God toward the Jewish people. That there are types, kinds, principles, models, examples, illustrations all throughout the Old Testament that pointed the Jewish people to their ultimate, eventual manifestation of their Messiah in Jesus. And that's what those practices, those customs were still good for They are found and fulfilled in Jesus. For example, when Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast. See, the Passover lamb is a type or a kind of Messiah, Savior, that in the Old Testament days, initially, when that was spoken of, the Passover lamb, they didn't have a name and a face for the actual specific Messiah who would one day come on the scenes. But Paul, when he wrote that and the New Testament believers, the Jewish New Testament believers, they had come to understand that the Messiah, the Old Testament Savior, actually had a name and a face, and that name is Jesus. And they could have beheld him if they had recognized him when he walked the earth in their presence. Some of them did. We know the 12 disciples, for example, at least 11 of them, not counting Judas, and so The issue here is how do we make sure that the Jewish believers in Jesus don't feel ostracized, that they don't feel alienated? So Paul, as a good missionary, keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus. Have you noticed that the main thing is not a thing, he's a person? Keeping the main thing, the person of Jesus participates with new insight into the Nazarite vow. New insight into the sacrificial system, understanding that Jesus fulfills it all. So that's what's happening here as Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believers in Jesus now try to make their way of fellowshipping together and not having two different churches, not having two different saviors, two different sacrifices. Does that make sense why this is taking place, why Paul participates? And so he puts to rest by his participation the rumors and the slander and the misunderstandings that were circulating about him, helping people understand that he was honoring Jesus and he was now, as a New Testament Jew, helping people participate in the Old Testament sacrificial renderings the sacrificial system of the law appreciate Jesus as the fulfillment. That's what's taking place here. So, verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. So Paul's problems are just beginning. He takes care of one problem, And another one surfaces, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place, this place where the temple was, the epicenter of Judaism. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Remember, if you understand your Bible, you know that there was a court of the Gentiles on the outermost parts of the wall that surrounded where the temple was. Inside that wall, there was the court of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, could congregate and fellowship if they wanted to stick their toe in the water to get familiar with the God of the universe, the living and true God, the God of the Hebrews. And the idea would be, the whole purpose of that in the first place was for evangelism, that even a non-Jew could come into the court of the Gentiles, hear some of the truths about God, hear some of the testimonies of the Jewish people who could go closer to the temple. It's a principle in the layout of the temple that the closer you get to the epicenter of that temple, which would have been the Holy of Holies, the more you become conscious of sin, the more you become conscious of the holiness of God, the more you become conscious of the need for a mediator, someone to go between you and God, the more you become conscious of the need for at one or atonement. That's what atonement means, at-one-ment, to be made spiritually right with God. And so What's happening here is the Jews from Asia, they're lying about Paul. They're saying he took somebody beyond the court of the Gentiles, into the temple. Now, if any Jew did that, they would have defiled themselves. They would have been guilty. They would have defiled the temple. That's a big deal. So there's misinformation here. They're lying. There are false accusations. Seems to be that false accusations seem to be par for the course. Those of you who are golfers seem to be par for the course for anybody who wants to follow Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus. They hurled false accusations against him, even though he remained silent because he knew that his... Purpose was to give his life as a sacrifice for sins, for your sins and mine, to make atonement for you, to make atonement for you and for me. So false accusations are the norm here. They're accusing Paul, a Jew, of defiling the temple of the Jewish people. That's a pretty big deal. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian with him, with Paul, in the city, in Jerusalem. So Paul, (laughs) he's hanging out with Gentiles, this former Pharisee who was in line to be the leader of all the Jewish leaders, as we're going to see, he studied under Gamaliel, he's hanging out with non-Jews. And so the hypocritical, self-righteous Jews who missed the whole teaching behind the court of the Gentiles that God loves all people everywhere, he starts with the Jews raising up a Messiah from the Jews and then sends Jews to the Gentiles. And so the Jews, a good number of them, at least the loud mouths, have forgotten that one of the main teachings in the Old Testament is that there would come a day, there would be a day where Jews and Gentiles would worship the same Jewish Messiah. And when Paul talks about Elsewhere in the scriptures, that what advantage is there then of being a Jew? Many, for theirs are the covenants and the promises. That's what he's referring to. It's a beautiful thing to have Jewish heritage because you've got a a rich lineage. It's just absolutely amazing. The Jews are the ones from whom the Messiah came and from whom the Messiah will come. Jesus, when he returns, lands on the Mount of Olives, splits it in two. And God's prophetic plan for the ages, for salvation and humanity, takes a quantum leap forward. So they had seen him, obviously, hanging out with Trophimus in verse 29, the Ephesian, in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Be very careful about what you assume about people. You can cause a riot by spreading rumors and innuendo about people when you don't have the facts down. So be very, very careful. What could start as gossip could result in slander. Slander is gossip on steroids. Gossip is talking to somebody about something that they really don't need to hear. But slander is actually sharing false information based on what you heard. And that's what's actually happened here. Paul is being slandered against because misinformation based on hearsay "'has circulated around him and about him.'" Verse 30, "'Then all the city was stirred up, "'and the people ran together. "'They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, "'and at once the gates were shut.'" You're not getting back into this temple, buddy. You've caused enough problems. "'And as they were seeking to kill him, "'word came to the tribune of the cohort "'that all Jerusalem was in confusion.'" He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune, that's the leader of the Roman soldiers and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Why is this significant? Well, have you forgotten already? Acts chapter 21, verse 11. Acts chapter 21, verse 11. A prophet named Agabus predicted these very things. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus has given a prophecy that when you get to Jerusalem, please don't go to Jerusalem. They're warning him, don't go to Jerusalem because when you get there, the Holy Spirit's telling us time and time again, Persecution and difficulty and hardship is awaiting you when you get there. When you get there, this is what they're going to do to you. They're going to bind your hands and your feet. And what do we read here in Acts chapter 21? We read in Acts chapter 21 that they took two chains, probably two chains because his hands and his feet were bound. And we also must remember Acts chapter nine. Let's look at Acts chapter nine, verse 16. When Paul is called by God, Acts chapter nine, verse 16, this is God's calling to Paul. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God means what he says, says what he means, delivers what he promises. Paul's calling right from the beginning was a calling to represent Jesus well and to be prepared to endure hardship as a result of being a faithful Witness for Jesus. Hardship and being a witness for Jesus go hand in glove, especially for the Apostle Paul. Now, getting back to this prophetic word, we have to remember, it's so important to remember, that the book of Acts is written in hindsight after these things had been confirmed. It's a very different set of circumstances than if somebody walks up to you today and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. You don't know at that point whether it is a word from the Lord. By the time the book of Acts was written, they knew that Agabus was a prophet because he said it before it happened, and then it happened. Well, how do you know it's a prophet? How do you know that it was a prophecy? Because it happened. And Agabus had a 100% track record because we know that the the violation of a 100% track record, the inability to have a 100% track record... When it comes to prophecy, biblically, if you know your Old Testament, and you should as a New Testament person, the penalty for that was death. If you were not 100% accurate, you were not a prophet from God. So please keep in mind that what we're reading here in the book of Acts is an after-the-fact account where Agabus had earned the reputation of being a prophet. This was, in fact, a prophecy because of the biblical principle of confirmation. If anybody says to you, or if you dare say to anybody else, the Lord says, you better know with 100% accuracy, if you want to carry around that title prophet, and you want to throw around the word prophecy, you better make sure that you have 100% accuracy, or else you need to let me come up to your house But maybe a few of the elders, maybe a few of my friends from New Jersey, with some sticks and stones, and send you to the just desserts that you deserve, biblically speaking, for being a false prophet. The penalty in the Old Testament, and even in New Testament times, as this was being written, for somebody, because the temple's still up, they're still practicing Judaism here, the penalty for false prophets was death. Why? Because... The consequence of letting falsehoods be propagated in the name of the living and true God is about as slanderous as it gets. You can't get much more of a significant affront to the living and true God if you're spreading falsehoods in his name. Super, super important to understand. So what do you do nowadays? If somebody says, God told me, you wait on God, you study his word, you look for confirmation, you consider of course the character of of the individual who might be sharing these things to you. And if they have a reputation for giving supposed alleged prophetic words to other people, you wanna make sure that they have a 100% track record. If they don't, a word to the wise is always sufficient. How do you know that what they just told you isn't yet again wrong? Be very careful. You do seek the counsel of your elders, the elders of your church, asking the counsel of other godly individuals. And so between the word of God and the counsel of godly elders, the counsel of God's word, the black and white teachings of God's word and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Some people call it spider sense. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's not spider sense. Some people say it's my gut. My gut was telling me this. It might be your gut You might need some probiotics for your gut. It might not be your gut, might be the Holy Spirit. And so the cautious, the wise, the godly individual, the godly individual doesn't rest upon just one of those factors. You weigh all of those factors whenever there is an alleged subjective, open to interpretation, possible word from God. Notice I said alleged, subjective, open to interpretation, possible word from God, because otherwise you could treat a prophet as something that is very pathetic and you want to be very careful. Is it prophetic or is it prophetic? Is it pathetic or is it prophetic? If you don't take those Guiding principles that we see in the word of God, that we see practice in the word of God, godly counsel from people who have a good track record, your well-being in mind, God's reputation in mind, the word of God, the Bible, the witness of your own spirit, the reputation of the person who might be saying something. If you don't weigh all of those things as I just talked about together, then you could end up down a very pathetic path that you thought was prophetic, This was written after it was proven that that was a prophetic word from God that Abacus had uttered. Understand? Make sense? So Paul is bound now with two chains and then the tribune inquires who he was and what he had done because he needs to act justly. And one of the things that the Roman tribune and the soldiers were charged with doing was executing justice as the police force the higher form of police force, there were temple guards, but they didn't have this capability that the Roman guards had, he was to exercise justice on behalf of the Jews and the Jewish leaders if and when things got out of control. So he wants to know, does this qualify for me to get involved, or is it something that I should not be involved in? And that's why he asks why he was arrested. Verse 34. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, the steps of the barracks, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? Thank you, Paul for your courageous humility keep paul's response in mind because we're going to come back to it in just a moment may i say something to you and he said this is the tribune says do you know greek are you not the egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the four thousand men of the assassins out into the wilderness paul replied i'm a jew i'm not that guy from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Now, most of us by this point speak to the people. Get me out of this place. They want to kill me. The violence is so extreme. My hands and my feet are bound with chains. May I talk to you for a moment? Could I speak to the people? Wow. What an example of a spirit-filled, spirit-led compassion for people. At the expense of your own well-being, you give that much of a concern about these people. You care that much about these people and that much about your God. The, you are willing to put yourself in greater harm's way. These people want to kill you. I mean, most of us, you know what we would do? We'd take off our shoe Sandal, shake that thing off, and we would say, man, I want nothing to do with you. Get me out of here. And when it comes down to you or me, it's me, not you. Paul doesn't do that. And we'll come back and circle back to this again in a moment, but I want us to read further so that you understand the commitment that Paul has to his Savior and to his people. The commitment that Paul has to his Savior and to his people. And what an inspiration it is for you and for me today to have that same commitment, twofold commitment to your God and to people. I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language or in Aramaic, a dialect of Hebrew, saying, brothers and fathers, Hear the defense that I now make before you. Again, respect, humility in the face of false accusations. Respect and humility in the face of false accusations. Respect and humility in the face of false accusation. I don't know about you. I come from an Italian family from New Jersey. If somebody don't want to pay me respect, I have the get-out-of-the-fight free card that I can pull out of my back pocket. You don't want to treat me with respect? I don't got to treat you with respect. I'm speaking in New Jersey, northern New Jersey dialect, by the way, just so you know, never mind Hebrew or Aramaic. You don't want to treat me with respect? I ain't giving you no respect. You want to be arrogant and full of yourself? Then let me give you a taste of your own medicine. That's how we act in the flesh, That's how we act when we're out of step with the Holy Spirit. But Paul, brothers and fathers, the compassion and the concern that he has, the humility that he has, and the courage that he has. Remember, humility and courage go hand in glove. They're sojourners together on the same trip of honoring Jesus. Humility and courage. They're traveling companions on that same journey of honoring Jesus. Paul is demonstrating tremendous humility, tremendous courage, tremendous respect in the face of what he would have every right to do. You falsely accused me, I'm gonna lay it on you thick and heavy. No, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, courageous and humble. And God is using him to spread the gospel. Verse two, when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language or the Aramaic, the dialect of Hebrew, they became even more quiet because it would have been hard for them to understand Hebrew. If he was speaking in Aramaic, for example, what they would have done is they would have said, wait a second, this guy's speaking our language. He's one of us. And they begin to listen. And he says in verse three, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading Theological Jewish scholar of the day. So Paul had access. This is what Paul means when he writes elsewhere a Hebrew of Hebrews, well schooled, well versed. Paul was set to take the place of Gamaliel as the leader of the Jewish people. So we understand again, why would a guy who had so much going for him give it all up when he had such safety, such security, such prestige? Why would he give it all up for Jesus? when his own livelihood would be at stake. Great reminder for each and every one of us that Paul was not concerned about his own comfort, his own convenience, his own livelihood, his own reputation. He was concerned and consumed with the reputation of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was willing to suffer the loss of all things so that people just like you, who would otherwise be willing to crucify Jesus and beat Paul up, so that people just like you, just like me, could be rescued just as he was. How amazing is that? When you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did when he was on the cross and he said, forgive these people. These very same ones who put me here on this cross, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. Wow. Listen, that is the spirit of Jesus. That's the attitude that every Christ follower will have when you're filled with the spirit of Jesus. You will have a compassion for people because you have a fire for God. And if your compassion for people is lacking, it could be a good indication. And What William Booth said could be words that you need to heed. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, the tendency of fire is to go out, therefore watch the fire on the altar of your heart. If your compassion for people is dwindling, it's because your fire for God has gone out. Mm -hmm. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, verse three, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God and all that you are to this day. In other words, you're just like I was. I persecuted this way to the death. If you remember Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter nine, Paul breathing out murderous threats against the disciples, throwing them in prison. I persecuted the way to the death, having people put to death. He was there when Stephen was stoned, taking the outer garments of the people, throwing the rocks. They were laying them at the feet of Paul. He had prestige among the Jews, approving of the death of Stephen, whose face looked like that of an angel as he was being murdered. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Ask them, in other words, From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, he's recounting Acts chapter 9, his conversion experience, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Remember, to persecute a Christian is to persecute Jesus. To persecute the church is to persecute the founder of the church, Jesus. And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. In Acts chapter 9 it says that they heard the voice, they thought it was thunder, but they didn't hear human language. So Paul is helping us understand what that looked like in more detail. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Again, the centrality of baptism for the believer. If you believe in Jesus, you identify with him In water baptism, you immediately do that. That could have been left out here, but it's not left out because Luke understood that in the beginning, in the first century, identifying with Jesus in water baptism was inseparable. If you were a follower of Jesus, the no-brainer, the first immediate step that you would take would be to identify with him. Now, baptism was a Jewish practice, Paul didn't need coaching, and here's what baptism is. Jews would have been baptized when they went to the temple. They would be baptized, a a Gentile convert, a proselyte to Judaism will be baptized into Judaism in the name of the rabbi of the school of Judaism that they adhered to. You connecting the dots now? You should start to connect the dots. If a Jew was going up to the temple, there are mikvah bathing pools that they uncovered on the southern mount of the temple. I saw them years ago when I was in Jerusalem. When the liberal scholars said, ah, it's a made up story. There's not enough water in Jerusalem to baptize 3,000 people as it's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. Well, lo and behold, there was an archaeological dig, a number of them, and they uncovered dozens of mikvah baptism. That's what it means. Baptism bathing pools right there in the southern mount of the temple. And what would happen is devout Jews would come up to the temple and they would get baptized baptized as a symbol of their sins being washed away. Baptism was something that a Jew would do initially and that a proselyte would do when they would convert to Judaism. And then baptism was an ongoing thing. And then also baptism was an ongoing thing that a Jew could participate in multiple times to represent a fresh start with God. And here it's significant that Paul was being baptized into the name of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, as a Pharisee familiar with the Old Testament, huge game changer. Verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, saw Jesus saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in You Look at Paul's past and look at how God is using him in the present. Look at his past, look at his present. Connect the dots with your own life that probably has a past and how God could use you in the present despite your past. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up until he said the word Gentiles, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, this reminds me of an Italian argument. (laughs) Flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying he should be examined by flogging. The equivalent today would be waterboarding. The modern equivalent would be waterboarding. Putting somebody under intense physical pressure, coercion to get them to confess, to get them to talk about why they're there in the first place. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, excuse me, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? (laughs) Wow. You want to talk about grace under pressure. Excuse me. Is what you're doing right now legal? He pulls the legal card, and it has tremendous effect because no Roman soldier, no leader of Roman soldiers had the right to punish a Roman citizen unless they had the right to punish the Roman citizen, unless that Roman citizen broke the law. And this guy now is getting ready to do something without having firm evidence, the idea of innocent until proven guilty being applied right here. Is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. He became a Roman citizen. Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him or to flog him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. The tribune and the Roman soldiers are now in big trouble. We could say deep (laughs) doo-doo. Creepy caca, can we say that? (laughs) They're in big trouble. They broke the Roman law, which means that now they are subject to potentially being tried and punished by Roman means. And if you've forgotten how the Romans can deal with those who they don't like, just look at the crucifixion as an example. Verse 30, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet and he brought Paul down and set him Before them. In our next time together, we're going to look at what happens as we continue this story. What's going to happen to the Apostle Paul as now he gets his day in court before the leaders of the Jewish people? The Tribune is doing what he had a right to do. Listen, this seems to me to be a Jewish matter. So I'm taking it back before you, Jewish leaders, for you to decide because you almost led me to do something that could have really resulted in me being persecuted and being punished even more than I am now at risk. So when you come back, we're going to explore that. But before we go any further, I wanna zero in on what's practical for your life and for mine. As a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led follower of Jesus, what is it that you need to do? How is it that you need to live? What takeaways do we have from the life of the Apostle Paul as we look here at the Word of God? First of all, anybody and everybody, Everybody and anybody can stand up and speak out with the humility and the courage that Paul demonstrates when you remember the epicenter and the forefront. Remember epicenter and forefront, epicenter and forefront, epicenter and forefront. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit at the epicenter of who you are, when the Holy Spirit is dominating your life, you will stand up and speak out. When you have at the forefront of every decision you make, every choice you are making, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you will exercise courageous humility, humble courage. You will stand up and you will speak out regardless of the threat of persecution, regardless of the difficulty that it might Result in for you, regardless of how your comfort might be violated, when you have Jesus at the forefront of every area of your life, the forefront of your mind, and when you have the Holy Spirit at the epicenter of your life, filling you and overflowing, you cannot but speak out, you cannot but stand up, you cannot but exercise the humility and the courage that we're seeing demonstrated in the Apostle Paul. I have found in my own life the only time, listen, it's true in your life too, the only time when I give in and I sit down and I shut up about Jesus in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in my family, is when I have forgotten to live for the glory of God. It's when I have forgotten that God has given me a not-so-secret agent in my life. The Holy Spirit, that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that filled the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple and the Shekinah glory of God descended and they had to stop offering the sacrifices. That Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, lives inside of you. So when somebody comes up to you and says, I don't want to hear about this Jesus... I don't want you to talk about this Jesus. I'm sick and tired about hearing about this Jesus. You remember what the Apostle Paul did as an example, not an exception, an example of what a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, dedicated follower of Jesus did. He stood up, he spoke out, and he represented Jesus well because Jesus was at the forefront of his thinking. He knew that God called him to Jerusalem. He knew that God called him to preach the gospel. Listen, God has called you to preach the gospel. God has called you to live for Jesus. Live for Jesus, preach the gospel, keep Jesus, at the epicenter of your life. Let that Holy Spirit who lives inside of you from the moment you gave your life to Christ, let him overflow out of you and you too. You too will be courageous. You'll be humble. You'll stand up. You'll speak out. When other people want to tell you, sit down, shut up. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want to hear about your religion. I don't want to hear about your Bible. Listen, in the United States of America today, there is a need for humility and courage among God's people like there's never been before. Never been before. Never been before. And guess who the answer is? If you aren't able to connect the dots yet, here's what you do. You go home. You get in your car. Many of you are probably in a car. You might be listening now and in a car. If you're listening to podcast or radio, you go home today and you go to your bathroom. There's probably one of these in the bathroom. There's one in our bathroom. You might have one in your bedroom, but pretty much there's one in your bathroom. Go into your bathroom. Find the mirror. Look in the mirror. And understand that you are God's plan A for the revolution of humble courage that needs to happen in our nation. Christians are being marginalized. We are increasingly facing more persecution, even though it pales in comparison to what people in other countries are facing. We are being told to sit down, shut up. Been there, done that, tried that. But as for me in my house, as for you in your house, don't give up. You need to stand up and speak out. Listen, if Paul could do it with a past, Persecuting the church, putting people in prison, having them sentenced to death, approving of it all. If God could use that guy to teach and to preach about this Jesus, then most people who are hearing what God is saying through me, despite me, right now, can stand up and speak out with the same power that enabled Paul to have humility and courage in the face of tremendous persecution. You've got a past, so did Paul. Was that past so big that God couldn't use Paul? Listen, Jesus is so much bigger than your past, so much bigger than my past. It's not about your past. It's not about my past. It's not about your sin it's not about my sin, it is about your Savior. It's about our Savior. And if you keep Jesus at the forefront of your thinking, and you remember that you have the Holy Spirit at the epicenter of who you are, then you too, brother, you too, sister, anybody, anybody, and by anybody I mean anybody can stand up and speak out with the humility and the courage that God is demonstrating through the Apostle Paul, despite who Paul was as a Pharisee. Now, I don't know about you, but that is such great news that that will help me. It will help you in the course of every single interaction you have this week. God is good, and he's demonstrating his goodness through you, despite you and because of you. Brother, sister, we need a revolution of courageous humility in this nation, but it needs to begin in this church. It needs to begin in your family. It needs to begin in your life. Stop sitting on the sidelines and thinking that God can only use somebody else. You are the only clay in God's pottery barn. We are the only clay in God's pottery barn. And if you could do it in human strength, God wouldn't have given you the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in human strength. I can't do it in human strength. But with the Spirit of God, by the power of God, we can do. We will do. The impossible, humanly speaking, because it's not just human power, it's not human power at all. It is the power of God coursing through the lives of regular people with courageous humility. Let's do it, everybody. Let's live for Jesus. Give our lives to him and leave the consequences at his feet.
0: Been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit Couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.